The meeting will now begin. My name is Anwar and I am an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of tonight's meeting is two 10-minute speakers. The first, which will speak on the eighth tradition, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker to share on the eighth tradition is James M. Well, my name is uh, James, but I'm an alcoholic. And I got to tell you, I, I love the fact that most things don't change, but I see that uh, the Atlantic Group has gotten a new commitment of sponsorship cat. I love it. It's a nice cat, Michael. Um, so today we get to speak on the eighth tradition, and it's uh, August, and you know that's what I mean. Things don't change. The Atlantic Group really presents everything here. It, it's very straightforward, but there's also a lot of information, so I'll do the best I can. I think I'm supposed to believe with, begin with the long form, which is a Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling for alcoholics for fees or higher, but we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services will be well, may be well uh, recompensed, but our usual AA 12-step work, uh, work is never to be paid for. So, you know, we, we want to look at what this means and how does it apply uh, and, and why do we have it. So we get to look at things like uh, non-professional. You know, what does that mean? The concept of a remaining non-professional comes for part of the same reasoning that we have in the seventh step, which is when you begin to mix uh, money and spirituality, sometimes our primary purpose uh, loses some of its focus. You know, doctors and religious people may have a big part in our lives, uh, but they're not part of AA. Sponsors and friends and people that we talk to, uh, you know, in AA, do this from, you know, what we learn, you know, for fun and for free. We, you know, we, we don't do this to make money. Uh, we do this to help others. And in turn, we, we find that we are also helped, you know. And you know, so the AA tradition just kind of also guards us against somebody who might want to consider themselves an a professional and try to represent themselves that way. And actually, in 29 years of sobriety, I've heard of only two instances of that. And it's been very scary each time. And both times the, the people have realized what they're doing and, and had stopped. You know, obviously we're a huge organization and uh, we're, we're going to need help. But in the beginning, you know, um, out of fear, people were very weary of anyone working for AA. Whether it, so the 12 and 12 says caretakers who swept floors, cooks who fight hamburgers, secretaries in offices, authors writing books, all these were seen hotly assailed because they were, as their critics angrily remarked, making money out of A, ignoring the fact that these uh, laborers were not 12-step jobs at all. The critics attacked as A professionals, these workers of ours who were often doing uh, thankless tasks that nobody else would do. So, you know, in the beginning, we tried to get volunteers to do everything. And as anyone who... Uh, as part of the commitment committee at any meeting knows volunteers sometimes stop volunteering. And there's a lot of work that needs to get done. And if we didn't get this done, A, it would just fade, you know, fade away. So the eighth tradition allows us to um, pay people to take care of the jobs that volunteers uh, can't or won't do. Um, 
Some people say special workers. That's another word in, in the eighth tradition, uh, that special workers should mean uh, non-alcoholics. Uh, that would ensure, of course, that no alcoholic is trying to make money from uh, his or her disease. But the 12 and 12 sees a problem with this, which is that non-alcoholics uh, lack familiarity with the program. So I, I love my dad, but I wouldn't want him answering the phones at central office because he just wouldn't have a clue. And he's a really smart guy. He's a loving man, but he just doesn't know who we are and how we think. One of us can do that much better. Um, you know, in, in the early days, they also used to say that, you know, if, if somebody is working for AA, if you pay them only a little bit of money and, and uh, you know, the, they might have a chance at some self-redemption and still be able to follow a spiritual path and work a program. But these days we don't believe that, you know, people get, if, if I'm a secretary in an office, I get paid a secretary's wage. And, and that's the way it should be. You know, again, we just are reminded again, and again, that um, they do not, they are not doing 12 step work. They're making 12 step work possible. Uh, you know, uh, they're not being paid to sponsor people. They're only being paid to make sure that the program, which allows sponsorship, you know, can continue to exist. Um, people, thank you. Five minutes left. People talk about uh, using the information that we gain by working the steps and being sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous in our professions. And um, the, the biggest problem with that turned out to be people breaking anonymity. Hey, hey, boss, let me help out. I, you know, I have this great program. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so that's not an eighth tradition issue. That's an anonymity issue. Uh, so that, that's not um, really an issue. And later on, I'll give you the quote, but later on, Bill says that, you know, it would be selfish of us to, try to keep people from using these principles that they learn in their daily life, in their jobs, in their families, etc. cetera. Um, Tradition eight specifically allows us to use uh, our contributions, the money that we contribute for supportive services. So I'm saying the same stuff over and over again, but it's just breaking it down a little bit more. You know, uh, it, at its heart, AA is unprofessional and unorganized Anytime a newcomer reaches out for help, they receive that help for fun and for free. But the books that we pass on, the meeting list that we pass on, the printing, the distribution, et cetera, et cetera, is often done by paid um, employees. That's not to say that I can't become a doctor or uh, an addiction professional, um, but when I enter a meeting, that's not part of uh, uh, what I do. Uh, in the old days, <laughs> we used to hand out business cards and Van used to, uh, Van had special cards printed up that did not have his business on them. They just said, you know, a member and, you know, a few other AA phrases. And I followed suit in that. I thought that was wonderful. You know, at the national, state, and regional levels, we have many services uh, that could not be filled by professionals. They're full-time jobs. And, you know, I have enough trouble with my own full-time job, uh, much less trying to uh, do that level of volunteering as well. Uh, so we do need to have special workers who, who will receive pay to do that. Um, you know, the traditions reflect the collective problem solving of Alcoholics Anonymous over the past, you know, years since our existence. And um, 
what held true back then holds true today, and they have not been changed. Tradition eight guides our financial responsibilities, telling us that absolutely 12-step work is never to be paid for. Um, uh, you know, we're all volunteers in here. The only expertise that we can claim is my experience as an active alcoholic and my experience as somebody recovering in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, the one-on-one sharing, one alcoholic to another is the basis of our whole spiritual program and, you know, how we save lives. You know, in our home group, think of all the services going on here. Uh, people used to set up chairs and literature, and now we do all, all the Zoom stuff. Nobody's paid for any of that. These are all volunteers. Um, so this is 12-step work. The other stuff makes 12-step work possible. I don't believe that AA could be professionalized. I think that we all uh, feel very strongly about it and that it, it uh, um, you know, AA therapists or organizers um, simply dilute the program and it would never work. You know, uh, you know one person's going to charge more, one person's going to charge less, and it would just, there's enough collective experience for us not to go down that road, I believe, I hope. Um, It causes a lot of trouble that, you know, uh, okay, Bill Wilson said there are people who serve full-time in other capacities, cooks, caretakers, et cetera, paid intergroup secretaries. One minute. Thank you. Uh, they are just making more and better 12-step work uh, possible. Um, that's why they are paid for and nothing else. It's not AA therapy. I'm going to jump quickly. I have one minute. So there's, I'm going to jump quickly to something that's interesting. Uh, a lot of you know the story, um, the home brewmeister from the big book, uh, Clarence S. Uh, wrote that, and he stirred up a controversy uh, about Dr. Bob and Bill receiving royalties for the big book sales. And that was kind of like part of the growth, the part of the initiation of the eighth tradition here. And uh, they, they reexamined the problem, and um, you know, Bill talked to Father Ed Dowling, who's a spiritual, you know, counselor, his spiritual sponsor, and they said that Bob, they said that they should accept the money for royalties, but not for 12-step work. Um, In closing, in my last 30 seconds here, unless we work for the General Service Board, there aren't many ways to practice the tradition, uh, but we can learn some valuable principles, you know, that, you know, oftentimes we'll make decisions based on fear. So be aware of that. We have to be careful of just following things blindly. We get afraid and, and, uh, you know, we we should never ignore our needs out of fear. Number two is that, you know, there are always exceptions to the rules. And uh, I'm getting the thank you sign. That, you know, so we have to be aware of the fact that there are exceptions and talk to people. And finally, the AT tradition teaches us that we shouldn't enforce our principles on others. It's for me to enforce on myself. I hope everyone takes the time to continue to study and read this. It's wonderful stuff. Thank you for letting me do service. Our second 10-minute speaker is Melanie M. Hello, Atlantic Group. My name is Melanie, and I am an alcoholic. My sober date is September 10th, 2010. Uh, My sponsor's name is Joe, and I sponsor other women. And um, I've worked the 12 steps. I've still got a few amends to make, um, but I try to live in all the steps in a very imperfect way as much as I can. Um, Thank you so much for that talk on the tradition. Um, 
I've moved around some in sobriety and I uh, really appreciate the groups that I go to that really uh, keep the traditions really strong in them. Uh, I, th- I feel like the message is much uh, more clear. Um, so um, I just want to start by saying this is my second time being this, the 10 minute speaker at AG. The first time I was um, just almost two years sober. Uh, and I, um, I remember I uh, was crying to my sponsor at the time uh, because I didn't have enough money to get my hair done before I was going to be a speaker. And I was so convinced that nobody would pay attention to anything I had to say if I didn't look good enough. Um, And she kept telling me, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about you sharing you, you sharing your story, your experience, strength, and hope. And I remember standing at the podium and looking at the church full of people, and all I felt was love. And I think that was a moment when um, I actually believed you when you say, we'll love you until you can love yourself. And there have been lots of moments uh, in my recovery where I get what you mean. Um, You know, I have these sober references that show me that you're not, it's not just talk the way that maybe church was when I was growing up. Uh, You actually mean it and uh, you live it. And thank God for that. Uh, That's how I've been able to stay sober. Um, So I won't dwell on my drunkalog for long, but um, I will tell you, I started drinking at a young age. Um, I drank because I wanted to escape. Um, And then I liked it and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I drank because it made me feel like I was a part of. um, And the more, the longer I drank, the more reasons why I drank um, until it became the solution for absolutely everything in my life. Um, and I couldn't see that it was also the reason why nothing was working in my life. Um, the last year I was drinking, uh, even when I was hanging out with my best friends, I felt completely alone and that was extremely painful. So I isolated even more. Uh, I drank alone. Blackouts happened much more frequently uh, incomprehensible demoralization happened a lot. I mean, it happened all through my drinking, um, but I always found a way to make it funny. Uh, and then, uh, and I also, geographics are a big part of my story. So the one that worked, I think, is when I moved to New York City because the bars were open two hours longer than they were in uh, Los Angeles and I couldn't control my drinking enough um, to not hit bottom. So the last night I drank, I went out with my new neighbors. My boxes had just arrived from Los Angeles. Um, I remember being in a bar with them. I remember they were kind of weird, but I didn't care because I I had my glass of whiskey. And the next thing I knew, um, a nurse was pulling a sheet up over me. And she told me to try to pee in a bedpan. And I had no idea uh, what had happened to me, why I was in a hospital, why I was in a gown. Um, I had no memory of what happened. Um, I blacked out again, came to, I had my phone in my hand. I took a picture of my face and my face was black and blue. There was blood on me and I had a couple of broken teeth and, um, I still don't really know what happened to me. Um, but I knew that, 
I could no longer drink safely. Um, looking back, you know, from the time I started drinking, I'd been trying to control it so that I could drink more, so that I didn't throw up quite as much, um, which I always did, a big puker. Um, but I didn't know what alcoholism was, and I didn't understand the phenomenon of craving, and I didn't understand that um, the reason I couldn't stop was because I had lost my off switch. And um, I thought an alcoholic looked different. I thought an alcoholic was somebody who was in the hospital all the time. And then it kind of took me landing in the hospital to get it. Um, so I see five minutes. Thank you. So I called a friend who was sober and she called a friend that she knew in New York City who brought me to my first meeting. It was the Monday night meeting at the Atlantic Group. Um, and everybody looked like calm together, um, happy, you know, much happier than I was. And I thought you have something that I want. Um, the speaker was talking about this ritual that she had every night where she went over her day with her partner. And I was so lonely at that point. That sounded so good to me. And um, because it was the Atlantic group, somebody came up to me and gave me a big book and told me she was her, my sponsor and to call her the next day. And I did. And um, by the time I called her, I'd already decided that uh, what I needed to do was to unpack and stay home that night. I didn't really need another meeting. And she said, you don't know how to take care of yourself. You need to listen to me. And I knew that she was right because everything that I had done up to that point got me to where I was. Um, so I, I took her suggestion and I went to the Tuesday night AG meeting, just convinced that um, you hated gay people and that I wasn't going to fit in. And the speaker, of course, uh, was a lesbian. <laughs> and uh, she told a story that sounded very similar to mine. But not only that, you all loved her. You know, there was no, there was nothing, you know, it just completely, it completely cut out that voice in my head that said that I don't fit in. Uh, so I got right into the work um, as we do in this group. Um, I ended up working with a different sponsor than that first one. Um, she took me through the steps. Um, I did everything you all told me to do. Um, and a lot of you told me what to do. And I really appreciate that. You know, I really appreciate that I had a sponsor, but I also had a lot of other people who were looking out for newcomers. Um, you told me to go make friends with another newcomer. And I did. And she became one of my best friends. You told me to go, um, you know, find the meetings that I really love and go to the same ones so that people got to know me. And I did that. Um, I had lots and lots of crushes in my first year, and my sponsor told me that I had to get into greater service. You know, I had to read pages 68 and 69 every day. <laughs> so I had five commitments my first year, and it was great. You know, it gave me such a fantastic foundation in recovery, and it has served me so well throughout the years that I've been sober. Um, every sponsor I've had um, has pointed me to a power greater than myself. Um, and I just want to say thank you to all the people who have sponsored me. I've moved around in sobriety too, and um, a bunch of you are here, and I love you, and you've shown me so much love. And, um, um, you know, you've taught me that my higher power is so much kinder than my imagination can ever really allow me to think, you know. <laughs> 
um, I was, uh, it's, it's been a process, you know, of growing and growing in that love. And, um, and I need you all to remind me of it um, because I default back to this kind of um, limited conditional love um, that I grew up with. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I got busy working the steps. Um, I flew to Los Angeles to make amends um, and Hurricane Sandy kind of shortened my trip and I ended up making three amends a day in this trip. But, you know, I was willing because I wanted what you have. Um, and, uh, let me see how much time I have one minute. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, sobriety has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I've lost family members in sobriety. I've gotten a graduate degree in sobriety. I've had my heart broken a few times in sobriety and no matter what I didn't drink. Um, and no matter what I had, um, people, to go through everything with me. I don't have to go through anything alone. And um, if you take nothing else from what I say tonight, take that to heart. Um, and um, thanks a lot for letting me be a service. My name is Sandra and I am an alcoholic. Our seven tradition states every A group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Your contribution covers expenses of our group and also that of our New York intergroup office and A area committees. The suggested donation is at least $2. Thank you for your ever-increasing contributions. As of today, the Atlantic Group has financial obligations to some of our regular meeting locations, and we continue to support A service organizations. Therefore, the Atlanta Group is accepting digital seven tradition contributions through Venmo at AG Tradition 7. If you would like to contribute to the Atlanta Group using an alternative method other than Venmo, please email TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com for information. Feel free to visit NewYorkIntergroup.org to make a pink can contribution. Those monies purchase literature for the Corrections and Treatment Committee as they bring meetings to those without access to AA. And now for sponsorship, we have Mike and Lorraine. Hi, my name is Lorraine and I'm an alcoholic and I co-chair with. Hi, I'm Mike, I'm an alcoholic. And we would like to extend a special welcome to newcomers, help you find a sponsor and answer any questions you may have about sponsorship. If you are 90 days or under and would like to introduce yourself, please raise your hand. Depending on your Zoom window, you may do this by clicking on participants on the bottom of the Zoom window and then clicking raise hand or click on reactions at the bottom of the Zoom window and click raise hand. If you're dialing in by phone, you'll press star nine. Your name will be called and we will unmute you so you can introduce yourselves. Is there anyone under 90 days? Bernie. Hi, I'm Bernie, an alcoholic, and today I have 65 days. Congratulations, Bernie. Brenda. Hi, everyone. I'm Brenda. I'm an alcoholic, and today is day 42. Congratulations, Brenda. Michael H. Hey, Michael, alcoholic. Today's day 57. Congratulations, Michael. Howard A. 
I'm Howard. I'm an alcoholic, and today is 76 days. All right, 76. Kevin H. Uh, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm an alcoholic, and today is 30 days. Congratulations, Kevin. Big 3-0. All right, Salem. Salem alcoholic, day 85. Congratulations, Salem. Um, next week, uh, Bobby M. Hi, Bobby M. Alcoholic, day four again. Welcome, Bobby, and good job. Um, Mike? Thanks, Lorraine. Mark H. Hello, family. I'm Mark, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, and today I have day one. Congratulations, Mark. Welcome. Kristen H. Hi, um, I'm Kristen. I'm an alcoholic, and I have 88 days today. Awesome, Kristen. Welcome. Okay, Jenny W. Hi, Jenny, alcoholic. Today is day 85. Congratulations, Jenny. Catherine M. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm an alcoholic. I have 74 days today. Yay, Catherine. Congratulations. Josh G. Hi, Josh, alcoholic. Day 24. All right. Congratulations, Josh. And Kit L. Hi, my name is Kid. I'm a grateful alcoholic. Today is day 30. Congratulations, Kid. Jason R. How you doing? My name is Jason Arik, alcoholic. Today's day eight. Congratulations, Jason. Welcome. Congratulations, everyone. If you're new, we have a list of available sponsors, and we'd be happy to help you find one. A sponsor is someone who's paved the path for you, and we encourage you to take advantage of that. We also encourage Atlantic Group members to sign up to be sponsors, and all newcomers to attend our, be our beginners meeting, which is on Thursday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to sign up for sponsorship or are looking for a sponsor, we can e um, you can email TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com. And I'll also remain on the call after the meeting during fellowship if you have any questions about sponsorship. Thank you. For festivities, we have Megan and James. My name is James. I'm an alcoholic. And my co chair is Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. So, yes, we have some announcements. I almost dropped the ball there, James, but I'm ready to make these announcements. Okay. Our second AG softball game will be this Saturday, this very Saturday, August 7th from 2 to 5, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. in Central Park at the Great Lawn Field 5. Park rules request that non-vaccinated people continue to wear masks. Our second announcement is that our AG Fellowship Picnic is back. This will take place on Saturday, September 18th, also in Central Park, but in the Arthur Ross Pinedum. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Someone please 
email me and let me know. Um, East. The East one, not the West one. From noon to five. Due to COVID-19, we are asking you to please bring your own food and drink and join us for fellowship and fun. Park Rules again request that non-vaccinated people continue to wear masks. As Ron B, this is our third announcement, as Ron B and Rodney mentioned, the 22nd AG Autumn Big Book Study at the Wilson House in East Dorset, Vermont, will take place September 24th, 25th, and 26th of this year, and registration is $140. If you have any questions or you'd like to sign up to play softball, do service at the picnic, or register for the big book study, please email. You all know what to email. Come on. TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com. It has not changed. It will always be TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com. James, back to you. Thank you, Megan. Each week, TuesdayAG at NYC. Hold on. I messed it up. Let's see? <laughs> TuesdayAG nyc at gmail.com got it each week we ask a question from any of the first 103 pages of the big book last week's big book thumper stumper question was nevertheless we find that our thinking will as time passes be more and more on the plane of inspiration we come to rely upon it page 87 cousin it this week's question is, <laughs> so, someday, this week's question is, you're making me laugh, Megan. Dad jokes, James. Yes, I'm Dad telling jokes. you, man. Oh, Hickory Dickory Doc. Oh, God. I know where these rappers get their raps from these days now. Anyway, this week's question is, Biggie and Nas are rolling over in their grave. This week's question is, someday, we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public do a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of blank or hostility. Submit your answer to TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com and your name will go into a hat. The winner of the drawing will receive a year's subscription to the grapevine. The next drawing will be held Tuesday September 28th. For anniversaries, we have Meher and Danny. Hi, my name is Meher. I'm an alcoholic and I co-chair with... Hi, I'm Danny and I'm an alcoholic. We celebrate AA birthdays on the last Tuesday of the month. This is an opportunity for Atlantic Group members to express their gratitude for a minute or so. The definition of a member is someone who has signed up with our membership chair and is a regular attendee of the Atlantic Group. The definition of a minute is 60 seconds. We have a custom in the Atlantic Group in which we hope you will participate. We suggest donating a minimum of $2 for each year of your sobriety and that money will be sent to the General Service Office and New York Intergroup each month. Anniversary contributions for 2020 were $4,948. If you wish to celebrate, please confirm with us by emailing TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com with your name, sober date, sponsor, and telephone number. 
Members who wish to celebrate are reminded to wear Atlantic Group attire. Excellent virtual cake will be served. Until excellent cake can be served again. Anniversary Watch. In an effort to promote unity and enhance sobriety, we here at the Atlantic Group sponsor an anniversary watch. This is an opportunity for Atlantic Group members on their 365th day to sit with their sponsor, Atlantic Group members and friends, beginning to wait and watch the first year of sobriety we ushered in. We have returned to doing in-person watches at the Mansion Restaurant on 86th Street and York Avenue, or if you would like to have a watch virtually, please let us know. If you wish to have a watch for your first year, please email TuesdayAGNYC at gmail.com. Normally, the Atlantic Group has a wide variety of conference-approved literature for sale. While we are meeting virtually, we suggest you visit onlineliterature.aa.org. Recordings of our Tuesday night meeting are available as a podcast under the name The Atlantic Group. As was said, this meeting is open to anyone. However, we are an anonymous fellowship and ask that what you hear and whom you see remain here. Our main speaker tonight is Debbie G. Hi, I'm Debbie. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you so much for having me, Deborah. Thank you for inviting me in. For everybody at this group that's had commitments and reached out to me, I appreciate it. I want to thank um, Eric H. from your group for um, being a friend and helping to start home group on Thursday night. It's called the Solution Group with some other friends. So I have anonymous all over the country, and I, I love that. I want to wish um, congratulations to all the birthday and um, token people tonight, and welcome all the newcomers. Welcome home. I hope you find in Alcoholics Anonymous what I have, and it's like I never felt like I fit in anywhere, um, anywhere I was, just kind of like what Melanie spoke about. I really enjoyed your share, Melanie and James. I so loved hearing about Tradition 8. Um, but I never felt like I fit in anywhere, not with friends, um, family members. It didn't matter. Ever since I was a little kid, I felt outside and like everybody had a map on how to do life and I missed, I missed it. Nobody gave me one. And, you know, I started drinking when I was pretty young and it gave me that ease and comfort that I needed to get through life. And I sought that escape via the bottle as often as I could, um, uh, mainly in junior high and high school, and I did other things. Nickname in high school is Doobie, so you can figure that out. But anyway, um, you know, whatever I needed to do to make me feel comfortable in my skin. And I, I'm one of five up in Ohio, and I don't blame my alcoholism on my mom, dad, grandparents, or anybody else. You know, the big book says we drink because we like the effect produced by alcohol. And that's what I did. I love the effect. And it made me feel comfortable. And, you know, I just, I thought that Ohio was a problem or being with my family was a problem. And, and I had some neighbors move to California when I was in high school. And as soon as I graduate, I'll be there. And my mom and my mom and I fought all the time. And I know from doing inventory work in sobriety and making my amends to the best of my ability that my mom and I were so much alike. That's why we fought so much, um, both alcoholics and 
um, my selfish self-centeredness. I didn't care what I did or the heartache I caused her. I was only worried about myself and how I wished she would be never being mindful of the struggles she was having. And I, um, I left at 18 and moved out to California and I thought I would be happy out here. And I realized that I brought the problem with me and, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard people talking about geographics and I thought, Oh, that's what you called what I did and all of that kind of stuff. And I found you guys gave me like one piece at a time of the puzzle to put my life back together. And I related to you when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I got sober June 1st, five. And um, my new home group is the solution group at Thibodeau Park. And, um, you know, I and Sharon sees my sponsor, and I'm really grateful for that. In fact, uh, a shout out to Jackie, one of my sobriety sisters. And Ava, I just adore you. I met Ava years ago, and I just I have so much admiration for her. So anyway, um, you know, so when I left at 18 and moved to California, I stopped to visit my mom's parents. Um, my mom and dad grew up in Michigan, and my grandpa and grandma moved to Tucson, and I saw them on the way out. And you know, I never knew that that grandpa had gotten sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't find out until like 20 some years later when I was in this program about seven years, my mom shared with me that he had gotten sober in 1946. And it's like, I never knew that. And um, looking back now being sober, and he's passed away before I got to this program, my grandpa had an ease and comfort about him. And he loved talking about God. He loves cigarettes and coffee. So there you go. <laughs> AA. But anyway, I um, came on out to California and started going to school to be a Lancer and worked at a firm as a draftsman. And, you know, for a while, um, I was okay. You know, I gave everything I had to my job and I didn't, I didn't have many friends or hobbies or anything else. So I just became a workaholic. And then after I got off work, until I blacked out or passed out. And my disease didn't progress very much for quite a while. And then I, um, I met a guy deep sea fishing who was, oh, he was an unemployed contractor, alcoholic drug addict. <laughs> I joked with people now that he was my catch of the day because I brought him home. Anyway, he was just like, he was a wee bit of a fixer upper. But anyway, I thought if I just get him straightened around, you know, I would be happy. And, you know, I was comparing my insides to other people's outsides my whole life. And it's like, I have three sisters and a brother and my sisters had all gotten married and were building houses out in the country and having kids and buying Winnebago's and going camping. And, and I was out here living in my little guest cottage with no heat above the landlord's garage. And I working and drinking, working and drinking. And I, um, when I went on that fishing trip, I thought, well, there he is, you know, that'll solve the problem. I thought that the reason why my siblings sounded so happy was because they had him and kids and all those material things. And so we started in a kind of a sick relationship for about a year and a half. And it was like, it was absolute insanity. And I thought if, if he would straighten up, I'd be happy. And, you know, that didn't solve my alcoholism either. And we broke up for the last time. And I, uh, I was living in that little guest cottage and had a profound spiritual experience. And it was June 1st of 1985. And I came to, and I was in and out of blackouts and he was there. And we had split up about a year, a year or two before that. 
And in those drunken blackouts, I would make phone calls, you know, get a little chatty in the middle of the night. Anyway, and so I wanted to rehab why he missed, missed my birthday. And so he was in my apartment and I asked him to leave and I was crying and throwing up like I always did. I was a daily puker and I, um, I just sat at my dining room table and I looked out the window and I was up on top of this little hill in Vista and it was a beautiful little view from there. And I just looked out and I just said, God help me. And he came to me profoundly and um, he picked me up and it was just like, like that, like being hoisted up out of this very chair. And I, um, I was taken over to the front counter and I watched my hand open the phone book and it was, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like looking out my eyes, but I had no conscious thought of what my hands were doing. I was just watching it like an outsider. And my hand kept turning the pages until my finger stopped at the Alano Club. And that was a, a meeting place in Oceanside that I had gone to for one Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because um, a year before I got sober, I flew back to Ohio to do an intervention for my mom. And I was directed to go to one Alcoholics Anonymous meeting before I went. And so I went there and the whole time I was like chewing the inside of my cheek to keep from laughing because the first person that shared was like, I'm Fred, I'm an and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, hi, Fred. Like, Fred doesn't know his name, you know, and I'm thinking <laughs> this is hokey and all of that stuff. But really, they were giving him a warm welcome. And he was stating his disease. So he doesn't ever forget that. And I, um, I miss most of the sharing. And, and then I um, to Ohio to do this intervention. And when, when I went there, I had to watch videos on alcoholism, go to an AA and an Al-Anon speaker meeting and meet with the counselor. And that's where I found out I was an alcoholic. She we're only here for your mom. And I'm like, it's only, it's all about mom. <laughs> anyway, it was just like, we did this intervention and it was really emotional. And, um, you know, in, in that, um, all my siblings went spouses afterwards and my dad and I got my mom's clothes and dropped them off at the treatment center because she was going to stay and we went to the Elks Club and drank and drank and drank and drank. And it's like we talked about who I should pick in the football pool and how the weather in California was. And we never talked about what just happened. I felt like such a hypocrite because, well, I was, <laughs> because I wanted my mom to, to get sober and buck up and be the kind of mom I always wanted. But I didn't give a rat's whether I was the kind of daughter she might have liked to have. And it was like I knew that I was just like her. I was an alcoholic. But all I wanted to do to, was to drink, and I needed it. And I, um, I did that for a few days and then flew back to California. And, you know, over the next six months or so, you guys had made a profound difference in my mom's life. And it's like um, she never lectured me or any kids. And over the phone, because I called home every week, you guys made such a difference. She was happy and playing golf with me again. And um, she was a fun and and just... She was just a hoot. But anyway, um, she had some surgery and her dad died and she never went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's like, you know, the thing that's really crazy to her that she was as a mom. And, I, you know, I got sober in June after that. And um, and so when when I would call home and she would ask how I'm doing it, 
stuff. Never once did she lecture me about drinking or going to Alcoholics Anonymous or anything else. And, and I'm grateful that we had that kind of mutual respect thanks to AA. And I, I got sober and I started going to 90 meetings in 90 days and getting commitments. And, um, you know, my home group then was the Carlsbad Workshop. And I learned so much there. There were so many old timers and and newcomers and the energy in that room was fabulous with big greeting line. And they taught me about getting commitments. And it was one of the first things I ever admitted to myself was that I was afraid of people. And she goes, Oh, really? Oh, good. You can be a greeter off to the door. We went and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she can't hear me. I said, I'm afraid of people. Anyway. So it was um, beautiful to learn how to take actions opposite of how I felt. If I would have just sat in that chair in the corner waiting to feel my skin, I don't think I'd be here to this day. And she taught me about making somebody else feel welcome would be how I would feel a part of and to take commitments and always give back. And I did that at that meeting for 36 years. And um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love this program. And I, um, you know, I've been through good times and bad times like everybody in, in sobriety. And it's like, you know, I had, I heard a speaker pretty early on that said, if she would have made a list of everything, she shortchanged herself. And I thought, oh, bless her heart. She's not much of a list maker then, is she? So I went home and I got my little pen and I made a nice list. I wanted a husband, a bunch of kids. I wanted to go to Europe and Alaska and pass the LSIT and LS exams to be a licensed land surveyor and finish my degree and buy a home. And it's like, you know, I've gotten a few things on that list. It took me 10 years to get that two-year degree. Uh, easy does it was always my motto. But anyway, just pace yourself. And so and some of the other things, I've been able to go to Europe and Alaska and I get my home and stuff like that. I never got married, never had kids. But you know what I found is that when I'm, when I'm active in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm practicing and mainly prayer and meditation, it's like, I don't want for anything. I'm content. And when I'm centered on God, I don't want for anything. And I'm just, I'm grateful that you guys have to do that. And so I, um, I've had some of those experiences. I, when I was about seven years sober, I decided I'm going to go to Europe by myself because, you know, he wasn't coming along. I had my, I was going to, you know, wait the year. Like they said, don't get involved for a year, work, work your program and work your steps. And, and that kind of stuff. But I, at seven years, I went to England. And right before I left, it was a few months before a lady from my home group said, you're not going on a tour. You're, you're just going by yourself. There's pickpockets in England. And I had no idea. And all of a sudden, now I'm afraid, right? I wasn't, but thank you very much. And so as God sees fit, a couple of months before um, I left, this gentleman, Brian from Bristol, England, showed up at my study. And we became uh, pen pals, and we wrote back and forth. And I wrote and told him that I was um, a bit afraid about traveling by myself back, that God lives this side of the pond. And he said, Deb, if you'd like, um, I would love to take you to dinner and a meeting on your third day in London. We'll go to Chelsea to a meeting. And would you speak at home group in Bristol on your last night? And I still have that letter in my big book because I was anchored in Alcoholics Anonymous in a country I hadn't been to yet. And it's like I got there um, my first day and I did what you guys, I had an international meeting directory. So I went to, I took a taxi to a meeting in London and I got there early because you said, if you want to feel a part of, serve the group. So I got there early. I'm a tea drinker and they made 
pots of tea. So I'm in the kitchen with the ladies making tea. And it was just, you know, superficial chit chat, but they were lovely. And I, the meeting was starting. So I got back in the, in the pew in the church and I was kind of in the middle. And this lady that I was making tea with, she stood at the end of the aisle and she goes, Deb, Deb, come here, come here. And I'm like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. You know, and I scooted out and I go, yeah. And she goes, mind your wallet, love. The man next to you is a pickpocket. And I'm like, whoa, I should have known he'd be an AA. Anyway, I was just, I went, scooted back into my seat and I sat down and I shook his hand and, um, you know, he was clearly a homeless man. And uh, the thing I loved about it was um, I knew different than him. I had stolen money from the ice cream place that I had worked at in Ohio when I was a kid. And you guys, through the steps, allowed me the privilege of being able to get that money together with interest and inflation, fly back to Ohio, pay that money directly to the man I stole it from. And, um, and it set me free. And it's like, I knew that if he stayed sober, he wouldn't be a pickpocket anymore. And they were looking out for me and I could welcome him. And it was just a really cool trip. And, you know, I went all over England and Scotland and I drove on the other side of the road and I was out in the middle of nowhere. And I just was crying. I was listening to Phantom of the Opera out in the middle of nowhere with sheep in the road. And I was just crying because... I realized what you guys had taught me. It took me seven years to realize that I had tapped an unsuspected inner resource by working my steps and sponsoring people and taking commitments and driving people to meetings and doing everything you said. Um, somehow I had this profound relationship with a God and that even though I was by myself, I knew without a doubt I wasn't alone. And that was the greatest part of that trip. You know, you can see all these beautiful places and I love that. But what you gave me on the inside is what nobody can take away except a drink. If I put a drink in my hand, I can cash it all in. And it's like I came back and um, continued just working and doing meetings and sponsoring. And I loved him. Um, he was a member of uh, the Carlsbad meeting and our Tuesday night Thibodeau group. And he was working central office one time and he gave me a 12 step call. He said, Deb, this lady called in and she wanted us to send a couple of men over. <laughs> he goes, we don't do that. We send women over to 12 step women. And she goes, well, I don't like women and I hate my mother. And he goes, well, good luck because uh, um, we're not going to send your mother. <laughs> So he sent me. But anyway, the thing that was neat about that was I was taught you never do a 12-step uh, commitment alone. And so I took one of my sponsees and we never could find her house. It was no, there was no such address. And we drove all over and it was going to be those nights home for me, you know, when you're busy with work and meetings and you look forward to that. And I was taught you never say no to Alcoholics Anonymous. And we never got to complete that 12-step call. But I can tell you when I got home that night, I felt better than I did before I left. And it was just, you know, you guys showed me by example that by being willing to be inconvenient, that that's how you'll get a stronger relationship with God. And, you know, a couple of years after um, going to England, I went back to Germany. I had lived there for two and a half years when I was a kid. And um, before I left to go, I passed out on the bathroom floor a couple of times and they tested my blood and they said, oh, uh, you're really anemic be careful on this trip. And when you come back, we'll retest you, but take iron. And so I did that, got in a car accident in the black forest and it was a rough trip, but I, um, it was still great. And I came back and they said, well, you're not anemic anymore, but you have a rare autoimmune blood disease. 
And it's like, I struggled with that for 11 years on and off steroids and just whacked out of my mind from sleep deprivation and stuff like that. And you know what, what I did right during those times is I never stopped praying. I never stopped meditating. I never stopped going to meetings, taking commitments, sponsoring people. But what I, what I did wrong in hindsight, I just allowed myself to, to dwell on self-centered fear and self and all of those defects. I wasn't working step seven. You know, I love how Scotland used to say, what defect of character in me, if it was removed, would make the situation better. And for sure, looking back, I can see clearly what I wasn't working on at the time. And, you know, I made it through that. And that experience by itself, you know, I allowed my faith in God to go up and down with my platelet counts. I would pray every day that I'd have to get blood work done. Please heal me and um, let me have a lot of platelets. And if they went down, I would feel like God didn't care. And if they went up, I thought he's healing me. And I allowed my faith to go up and down like that until I hit this emotional medical bottom. And I just, you know, I went and had my, and I got on my knees and I said, thank you, no matter what happened. And I I started getting well after that, had a couple of surgeries over the years, and I'm still well to this day. It's like, God is everything or he's nothing. And it doesn't matter. I just, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time with my faith. And so I started thanking him even when the counts went down. So I made it through that. And, you know, you guys going up no matter what. And I was asked in 2000 to speak at the South Bay Roundup. And that commit that conference in Torrance is just this great high energy uh, convention that they have every year. And I got to be the opening speaker there one year. And it was like, out of all the people there, there were 3000 opening meeting and how God sees fit that right next to me, leading the meeting, Roger Daniels was from um, New Mexico. He and his wife, Annie lived in New Mexico, but they both got back every year for that conference. And when I shared about my grandpa getting sober in 1946 in Michigan, he goes, I want to talk to you after the meeting about your grandpa, because my uncle got sober in Michigan around the same time. Maybe they knew each other. I swear to God, you guys in my head, I'm thinking, oh, pal, the mitten is big. I'm sure they didn't know each other. Anyway, such a skeptic. But I said, oh, sure, let's chat. (laughs) And so afterwards, he came up to me and he said, what town was your grandpa from? And I said, it's this little tiny town outside of Jackson, Michigan. It's called Vandercook Lake. And he goes, that's the town my uncle's from. And my grandma um, was still alive at that time. She was 95. And he goes, call your grandma and ask her if she remembers my uncle. And I said, okay, what was his name? And he said, Roy. And I'm like, what a cool AA name. And so I called my grandma and uh, she had had heart surgery and we were chatting. And I said, by the way, I go, do you remember a man by the name of Roy? And she didn't miss a beat. And she goes, well, yeah, Deb, when grandpa's drinking, that I had to throw him out of the house. Roy was the man who carried the AA message to your grandpa. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. I love you, grandma. I got to go by. And I called Roger and Annie in New Mexico. And I said, we're related. And it's like, we got to go to the International in Toronto together and uh, hear Mel B. And um, it's just amazing by just showing up in Alcoholics Anonymous and doing the commitments that you guys asked me to do, I get these profound experiences. And not every day, but um, I know I'm right where I'm. Sp- 
And it's like, I wish some of my other family were here. You know, I got the privilege of sponsoring a lot of women over the years. And I have some beautiful women in my life today. And it's like, you know, I had to go to a funeral for one of them who just couldn't make it here. You know, she tried and tried and she was a great lady and she just didn't make it. And when I first started sponsoring at one year of sobriety, my sponsor, Jody said, you know, you, you have to make a commitment to God that you will care more about whether you need to care more about telling them what they need to hear, no matter what, than you do about whether they like you. You need to love them enough to do that. And I made that commitment to her and to God. And I, you know, I was grieving at that memorial, but I didn't have any guilt. I know I always tried to help her with the tools of this program. And, you know, you can give them to them, but you can't make them do them. And it's like, you guys have given me such a great way of life. You know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share at your group today. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Deborah, and I'm an alcoholic, and I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, James, Melanie, and Debbie. Thanks, everybody, for a great meeting.